We finished uh, last week the story about um, how Saul was saved, and we called that Amazing Grace, and we learned through that story that even a man who was pretty much had a darkened heart, he was really a cruel man, uh, God saved him. And we enjoyed that story last week. And today, we're going to do Acts chapter 10, and I've simply titled it, uh, Don't Limit God. Don't Limit God. We're going to see today that, that there were certain limitations that just in people's minds, and we all do it as humans, we kind of feel like we're the only ones. We kind of feel like things are just unique to us. But we're going to learn here in Acts chapter 10 that God's getting ready to blow everybody's mind, and He's going to take the gospel not only to the Jewish people, but also to all the Gentile world. And it's going to really shake things up. And thank God that he did, because that was our ancestors. You know, we're not of Jewish descent as far as nationality. Our, most of our people were European, and so that's where the Gentile world was able to be a part of the gospel as well. So it all started here on this day when it went to the Cornelius' house. So before we, before we start this morning, I'd just like for us to pray over this word we're going to read that we'll have our hearts and minds open, that we'll understand what we're reading today. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We give you thanks, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege to speak your word. We thank you, Lord, for each person that's gathered here today to hear this word. And so, Father, we just pray for the ability to expound upon it. We pray for open minds and open hearts. And we may receive this word that you've given us for this day, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So don't limit God. That's what we're going to talk about uh, some today. And uh, like I said, it's human nature to start to think you're the only one, to start to think that you've got some type of privilege that other people don't have. And so that's something that we have to guard ourselves against, even as Christians, even as we've been a Christian a long time. We have to still remember that God's still in the saving business, and He'll save whomever will come to Him. Amen. And a lot of times he saves people that we had done written off. We thought, man, that person will never get saved. So let's take a look and just go line by line. And let's do uh, verse 1 to begin with. So Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment. Now just a note there I want to share with you on that is Cornelius is a prominent leader in the Roman military. That's what it means when it says he was a centurion. He was over a hundred people. He had people who did what he told them to do. And so he was, a, he was a prominent leader in the Roman military. Therefore, he was a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish person, non-Jewish nationality. And because he was a leader and representative of the much-hated Roman Empire, he symbolized everything many Jews of the day hated. We've got to remember this is the mindset of people who would look at someone like Cornelius and say, man, he's in that Roman military. He's a Gentile. He's in charge. He tells people what to do. He kind of represented everything that was bad going on with the Jewish people at the time because, see, remember, Roman army and the Roman Empire had was, uh, was basically had taken over everything, and they were having to serve the emperor of Rome, basically. So that's just the backdrop of what, what people were dealing with in their minds. Verse 2 says, And he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So here we see that uh, it was just a stereotype that Cornelius was an evil guy. He actually wasn't. He was a good man. And so however, Cornelius himself was a good, honest, God-fearing man. Through this we learn 
that we need to proceed cautiously when stereotyping others. That's one of the things we're going to see through this lesson we're, le we're reading today. And that's just the note that I made just a little while ago. That's something I feel like the Lord laid on my heart. We have to be very careful when we stereotype other human beings when it comes to salvation and being able to accept Jesus. Now, we know some people like to lie and, and they'll just use you and manipulate you. We understand that. But we don't need to lump everybody that doesn't believe into that same category. Some people's got a lot of different hang-ups in life. They may take them a long time to come to Jesus, okay? So we have to be, proceed very carefully when we stereotype others. We learn that God accepts whoever believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also learn that we cannot limit the good news of the gospel just to ourselves. Now, the church world was, things were going good as far as the church world was concerned there around Jerusalem and starting to branch out, right? The church was growing. We read last week that the persecution had stopped. Even their most dreaded enemy, which was Saul of Tarsus, had gotten saved and started preaching the gospel. Things were going pretty well, but it basically was still centered around Jewish people, okay? It hadn't went to the Gentiles yet. So in their mind, things had to be thinking, they had to be thinking, man, things are really going good right now, okay? So that's where we're at. So in verse 3, and it says at about the ninth hour of the day, this is Cornelius talking, uh, we're talking about Cornelius. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up, before, come up for a memorial before God. Now... Send to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him, and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when, they had, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. One of the things I want us to understand through that short passage of 3 through 8, God hears anyone who calls on Him in faith. He hadn't heard anything at this point. Cornelius had not heard much about Jesus, okay? He just knew that he, he knew that there was a God and he knew that he needed to do well and do right in the sight of God and to give to people who were less fortunate and things. So that was the thing he did. And he always prayed to God. He probably didn't really know who he was actually praying to, but he knew there was a God and he knew that he needed to pray to Him and do good in this world, okay? And so what we need to learn from that is there's a lot of people that have different backgrounds and upbringings. I was raised in church, so it was easy for me to say, you know, I've always known what the gospel is. Some people have never heard the gospel. Even in our country today, it's hard to believe. And if you'd go back probably 50 years and ask people if that would be the case, they'd say, well, that will never be the case in the U.S., because the gospel's so prominent. But there are people, people who have raised their kids and now they're raising kids and maybe even a third generation that's never set foot in a church, never heard the actual gospel. So we have to be uh, understanding of that, that that's what's going on. But anybody who calls on him in faith, he'll answer. I want us to notice in verse, uh, verse 8 that faith mixed with obedience is God's formula for success. Look what he did in verse 2. Take a look at this in verse 2. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This man was primed and ready to receive Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So when he got this order, send to Joppa and ask for this guy named Peter. And I'm even going to tell you where he's staying so that you can go find him. Go send for this guy and he's going to come to you and tell you what you need to know. So I want you to understand that faith mixed with obedience is God's formula in almost every single case. See, we can say we love the poor, but Cornelius was actually doing something about it. He was giving alms to the people generously, right? And so when he was told, send for Peter, he actually did it. He had faith to believe God was speaking to him through this angel, but then he followed through with what the orders were. He did what he was told to do. Number one thing is so important in, in our world today. Uh, I hear a lot of people talk about it. Uh, I've heard Dad and I've heard several people talk about it. Is That's one of the problems that they have with the younger workforce right now is they think they know everything and they don't want to listen to instruction. But even with God, we have to listen to what He says. Do what they tell us. We may not always agree and understand it, but we have to realize those people have been there and done that. They know the tricks of the trade. They know this. And when we're talking about God, God knows what He's doing. So if He tells us to do something, follow through with what He tells us to do. Faith mixed with obedience. Amen? Amen. Verse 9. <clears throat> so, the next, so the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now remember, Peter knows nothing about this yet. This happened the day before to Cornelius, and he was told, you send and you go find this guy, Peter. Peter's just going about his regular life, going up to pray this day, okay? Then he became very hungry, in verse 10, and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at, four, at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. In verse 14, But Peter said, No, so, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Peter was very proud of his Jewish background and how they kept the law of Moses, specifically the diet, right? They didn't eat anything that didn't have a, a forked hoof. You had a cloven hoof, they wouldn't, they wouldn't eat pig. They wouldn't eat any kind of fish that didn't have scales. I mean, they were very specific about all that. So he's saying, no, I, I'm not going to eat something that's uncommon. But all of a sudden, this voice now three times repeats to him, what God has cleansed, you cannot call common or not call unclean. Peter's world is getting ready to get turned upside down. Amen? Peter's theology is turned upside down. He declares that he's a proud and devoted Jew who obeyed the law of Moses, specifically the Jewish diet. God was preparing Peter for what he was about to do. And when it says in verse 16 that this was repeated three times, this is how God gets our attention. If the Lord has us to do something maybe a little unorthodox or something we're not familiar with or comfortable with, it's just not some random voice in our head and when it just goes away. The Lord really wants us to do something, He'll repeat it. And so three times this voice tells Him, what God has cleansed, you can't call unclean. Okay? Verse 17 Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision 
which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So Peter is very confused. You ever get an order or something you're supposed to do that you're confused and you're like, wow, I don't know what to do, don't know how to proceed. That's where Peter's at. Verse 18. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. These guys were serious. When Cornelius sent them, hey, you go to this guy's house in this city and you ask for this certain guy, they followed through, didn't they? They're there asking, knocking on the door. Is there a guy named Peter lives here, staying here? Amen. Verse 19 says, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who feared God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon hear word you. He invited them in and lodged them, and on the next day Peter went away with them and some of the brethren. Peter was uncertain about the specific details of what was going on, but he obeyed anyway. Isn't that strange how the Lord did how the Lord orchestrated this? Cornelius knew that Peter was going to be coming to his house before Peter ever knew about it. Then when Peter finds out, the Lord speaks to him in the in this vision and says, there's three guys looking for you. Go with them and don't doubt anything. For I've sent these people to you. You need to go help them. When the Lord puts something in your spirit, when the Lord puts something in your heart that maybe to go do something or go talk to such and such or give such and such a call, what, something like that, you know the reason behind it? Those people need you. And so we can shrug it off. A lot of times we do that in our natural flesh, right? We shrug it off. Well, that person's fine. Why would they need to talk to me? What, what could I add to them? You just never know how the Lord may be working things out. So when you get that urge or you get that feeling where the Lord's wanting you to talk to someone or give somebody a call, whatever the case may be, follow through with it. It's very important. Amen. Obedience is so important. Verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. There's something about that, isn't it? Cornelius had sent his soldiers away, the guys who were under him, go do this, this, and this. Bring this guy back. We're going to hear what he has to say. And he so believed that God was going to share some type of a message with him through Peter that he called all his relatives together and his closest friends so that they could be a part of it too. Isn't that just like what the Lord asked us to do? Go out and compel people to come. We can't ram it down their throat. We can't do anything. We can't force anybody to become a Christian. Sometimes we just simply live that way in front of them. Sometimes we say, hey, come to church with me. You'll like to listen to this such and such. Or let's go to a Christian singing or something. Invite people to come. Compel them to come. So that's what Cornelius had done. Verse 25, it says, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he 
went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man man common or unclean. Peter still doesn't really know what's going on here, does he? He's still trying to figure out exactly why have I been summoned here. So he's explaining himself that this is highly unusual for a Jewish man to come into a Gentile's house. Okay? Verse 29, Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. He trusted that Peter was going to tell him what he'd been desiring and what it was that he needed to know. Here's a man in his whole household, his closest relatives, and many of his closest friends had come together to hear some special message that Peter was going to preach to them. Now Peter understands. Now I know why I have been sent. Amen. Let's take a look at this. Cornelius, his relatives, closest friends were gathered together waiting to hear what Peter had to say. Cornelius knew the message was so important that he called everybody together. We're not going to work today. We're not going to do anything today. Just come and sit down. And when this guy Peter gets here, I don't know him. I don't have never met him, but I know that God has shown me he has the words that we need to hear. Hallelujah. Isn't that an exciting thing to think about? So you have to think all these people would come together would probably would be like us would be watching our watch. When are they going to get here? We've been waiting a while. When's this guy going to be here? What's he got to say? But Cornelius knew something special was getting ready to happen, didn't he? Didn't know what, but he knew something special was happening. Amen. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. 
I think it's so interesting that Peter didn't come there and start preaching denomination, didn't start preaching what his opinions on things were. He realized immediately that he needed to preach this whole group of people, Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord of all, that he is the one God chose to pile all the sins of all mankind on him, that if we believe in him, hallelujah, that we'll be saved from our sin. Praise God. When the Lord is doing something, it will be based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people over the course of my life and your life have you heard swell up and say, oh, they've heard from God and He's going to do this new thing. And then you start listening to them and they don't really talk about Jesus. They talk about all this other stuff, angels and all these kinds of voices and all these different things, but there's never anything about Jesus Christ. If God's going to do something in this earth, it's going to hinge and be based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. Because that's where everything is centered around. Amen. God says that this is the way it's going to be from now on. And so whosoever wants to come and believe in Jesus, they will be saved. Amen. And we see it right here in this story. Praise God. Peter had not been summoned to Cornelius' house to magnify himself or his church denomination, but he was summoned to preach Jesus Christ. And now we've learned through, as we went through this study, in almost every chapter that we've looked at, when they started preaching, when they started talking, what was it about? Jesus. Amen. So what should we talk about? Especially at church, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now in verses 34 and 35, I just want to draw our attention to that before we move on. Verse 34 and 35, when Peter began to speak, it says, Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God does not show favoritism when it comes to salvation. That's why we have titled this lesson, Don't Limit God. See, at first, Peter was going to limit it because he said, no, I've never eaten anything unclean when he saw the vision of all those different unclean animals coming down. So God does not need to be limited, especially by us. Salvation through Jesus Christ is not limited to nationality, to tribes, race, gender, family background, or financial standing. Amen. Jesus said, whoever believes and the only begotten Son of God will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, people quote John 3.16. That was a paraphrase of John 3.16. That's one of the most quoted scriptures by Christians. But I think some people forget that Jesus is the one who spoke that. That wasn't being spoken about Jesus. It was being spoken by Jesus. That whosoever believeth in the only begotten Son of God will not perish but have everlasting life. That's you and I. Amen? We believed in His name. Praise God. It's not up to you and me to determine who's worthy of salvation, but our job is to compel people to come. Amen? There's people I've heard about that I knew a long time ago. If you'd have told me that they would be in the profession they're in now, I went to school with them and I'd be like, no way, but it happened. There's people that I know right now that are saved, some of them even preachers and Sunday school teachers, that I never would have believed when I was in school with them that that would be what the case would be. So don't limit God. 
It's not up to you and I to decide who's worthy of salvation because really, in all truth, none of us are worthy of it. It's because of Jesus' grace. Amen? Amen. And then in verses 40 through 44 through the end of the chapter, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as had came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. This is one of the, the, the greatest events in human history. We talk about some of the great events that have happened. Jesus' birth was a great event. Jesus' death was a, a great event. When he raised from the dead, that was a great event. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost to those who were believers in Jesus, that was a great event. Here is another one in that line of great human events. When the gospel crossed the barrier out of the Jewish nationality into the Gentile world. Because this guy, if, if you just like last week, we asked the question of ourselves, would we have saved a guy like Saul? Sure we wouldn't have, right? We'd have been, nah, we're not saving that guy. But God's grace and mercy won through. And so just like Peter and some of these people that went with him, they were shocked to see that the Gentiles received the same gift that they did on the day of Pentecost. They were shocked. So salvation here crosses the long-standing barrier between Jew and Gentile. And it goes now to the Gentile world as well. Even though the Old Testament prophets clearly foretold this would happen, no one expected it, especially the leadership of the early church who were of Jewish nationality, and number one in that list would have been Peter. Had you had told Peter two days before this happened, hey, you're going to go preach to a whole group of Gentiles and they're all going to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you did, he'd say, I don't know about that, right? I guarantee you that would have been his approach. It would have been ours too. We can't just pick on him. We're humans just like he was. We'd have thought, nah, I don't believe the Lord's going to get them old weird Gentile people. I don't think he's going to save them because they're just too far out there, too lost. But we see here that in every nation, those who fear God and do righteousness will be accepted. Whosoever will can be saved. Praise God. Hallelujah. And in verse 44, the last point I want to make for today Verse 44 has been one of my favorite verses for quite a while now, and I've gotten myself in some trouble in certain churches for preaching this, but oh well, it's the truth. It's God's Word. Verse 44 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the Word. This uh, verse 44 destroys our, our doctrines or our ideas about how to be saved and receive the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of ideas out there. That's why there's so many denominations. It's funny to me that that's the biggest thing that churches disagree on sometimes is just simply how people should get saved. You go to one church and they'll tell you one thing. They go to another and they'll tell you another. But right here just tells you that God will do the saving. We do the compelling, right? We ask them to come and when the time is right, God will save people. So listen to this just, just briefly. Some say you have to pray a sinner's prayer. 
And for some people, that's, that's what they do when they get saved. They pray a sinner's prayer. They, somebody tells them, pray and ask the Lord to forgive you and accept Jesus Christ, whatever. Some say you have to be baptized in water or you're not saved. They say you can pray all you want. You can do any all this stuff you want. But if you've never been baptized, you're not saved. Not what happened here. They got baptized after they got saved, didn't they? Peter even asked the question, well, I guess we need to baptize these people. They didn't got the Holy Spirit. So just like we did, so I guess we go ahead and just do the formality of it and baptize them. Some say that you can't receive the Holy Spirit until you get saved and then get real serious about moral things and private devotion. They call it sanctification. But what happened in verse 44 proves we cannot limit God to our ideas. There was no altar call here. There was no water baptism here. There was no sinner's prayer prayed here. What happened? While Peter was speaking the words of Jesus Christ, that he's Lord of all and he's the Savior, the Holy Spirit fell on these people and they started speaking in other tongues. So that just blows all our little church doctrine theories right out of the water. What is our job? We compel people to come. We tell them the gospel. We do like Peter did. Jesus is your Savior. All you need to do is accept Him. We do the compelling, and God does the saving. And He'll do it how He jolly well pleases. Amen? So we can't put God in a box. Amen? We can't do that. We can't limit God. We just compel people with the gospel, with this message. Jesus died for your sins. On a cross. But He was raised again the third day so that you may have eternal life. And he said it himself, and we'll say it one last time. Whosoever believes in the only begotten Son of God shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said that himself. Whosoever. Your best friend that you think is too far gone to ever get saved, they're probably a whosoever. You just keep witnessing to them. Keep living your life in front of them. Keep doing the things that's right. Be an example to them. One day they'll get it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we've delivered the word which you've given us here for Acts chapter 10 today. We thank you, Lord, for the lessons we've learned here to not limit you, to not think that we're so special, that we're the ones who dictates who gets saved, and that we're the ones who dictates actually how people get saved. Yes, Lord, we have little formulas we work. Sometimes we have people pray a sinner's prayer and Sometimes we have baptisms or whatever. But Lord, we just need to concentrate on the preaching of the gospel. And then when each situation arises, you will take care of it as you see fit and give us the words to say for what people should do. We thank you, Lord, for this story here today. That Cornelius, a man who represented everything many of the Jewish people hated, but you saved him and his household and his friends, his closest friends, the Bible tells us. Lord, we thank you for that, for these Gentile people, what we call, were our ancestors that became later on the Europeans who would eventually come here to America and all these things. We thank you, Lord, that you saved our ancestors and it was passed on down through to us. We thank you, Lord, for every other nationality that you've saved and every other creed and doctrine and whatever people may have had beforehand. We see now through last week and this week that we cannot limit you, that you saved Saul of Tarsus and used him mightily and here you saved a, uh, Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who most people would have thought you would never love, but you did. Father, we thank you. We're thankful today for your gracious gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which you've given us, Father. 
Hallelujah to the Lamb. Lord, guide us as we go forward. Help us not to get too proud of ourselves and what we've done, but to help us just do what we've learned here today, to compel those to come to Jesus and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives and compel them to come and then you will save whosoever that will call on your name. Lord, protect each and every one, keep them safe until the next time we meet. We ask it today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.